You're listening to AIB Market Talk with our latest financial market update. Hello and you are very welcome to our weekly update on Tuesday 16th of April 2019. I'm Seamus Strapp from AIB Customer Treasury Services and today I'm joined by Catherine Moroni, Head of Business Banking here at AIB and John Fahey, our Senior Economist, to discuss Brexit developments, AIB's Brexit Sentiment Index and last week's European Central Bank meeting. Catherine, if I can start with you, our Brexit Sentiment Index for quarter one 2019 was released last week. Can you give us an update on the key findings? Yes, first of all, I think it's good to remember that the Brexit Sentiment Index itself is based on detailed telephone interviews with 700 businesses, so it's very representative. And our latest one finishes in March 19, so it is very much up to date. The key finding this quarter is that the index itself is considerably down. So it ranges from plus 100 for very positive to minus 100 for very negative. And it's sitting at minus 52 for the end of quarter one. That's a change for the worse by over 11 percentage points from the last quarter. So that's quite a significant change in sentiment. And it's reflecting the concern that businesses have about the direction of Brexit. And do we know the reasons for those changes? Yes, the customers told us what the key reasons are. The first one is that 46% of them, nearly half of them in the Republic of Ireland, are telling us that it is starting to impact their day-to-day business. Brexit is starting to impact their day-to-day business. And quite significantly, one in five of them, 23%, have said that it's having a negative impact on their sales specifically. One of the ways we can see that that impact on sales is genuinely Brexit is the fact that over 53% of businesses, over half of them, have cancelled or postponed their investment plans. So that obviously, if businesses are cautious and they're saying to themselves, I don't know what's going to happen, I'm going to hold off for the moment, then obviously that has a knock-on impact into orders and sales. Now some of those orders and sales are being buoyed by a certain amount of stock-taking in advance of Brexit, but that will come to a natural close and therefore businesses are starting to really feel that impact on their sales. They're also concerned about visibility. Understandably, they're starting to say, or have been saying for quite some time, I don't have any visible line of sight on the specifics of Brexit. It's very hard for me to plan. And they're negative about the future direction, both of the economy and for their business, as a result of that. Finally, I would say, though, that what we are very um, pleased with is the fact that over 64% of businesses now have started to plan. So that's very positive. Businesses realise, notwithstanding the uncertainty, they're getting to a point where they must have a plan in place. So we've had a decrease in sentiment, but encouragingly, as you say, Brexit preparedness has increased substantially. What advice would you give to our customers at this stage of the Brexit process? Well, the first thing that I think is really important to say is do not assume the 31st of October is the new deadline because that might bring about less of that planning right now. The intention of the UK and of Europe is to conclude the Brexit deal as soon as possible, and they're on the record in that regard. So my first piece of advice would be keep getting ready, and those who haven't started to plan, be very specific around the things you need to do. And the three I'd call out there really are, first of all, do look at your supply chain and your sub-supply chain as soon as you can. So even if we have a soft Brexit, even if we have a custom zone and there are no tariffs, we will still see 
potential new documentation requirements and admin, which are both costs and they are also potential time delays. We still may see some sub some disruption to the supply chain and sub-supply chain. And that's why I say don't just look at those who are supplying to you directly, but look at the sub-supply under that. And the second thing I would say is you are going to start being asked by your buyers because you're their supply chain, how ready you are. So that first piece of planning impacts the second piece, which is being fully aware of the impact on your, your customers, your buyers, and making sure that you're ready to deliver into them. For example, um, review any UK certifications, any regulations, any licenses that you may have that could be impacted post-Brexit. And my final piece of advice would be to look at your working capital. Even if you have more than sufficient working capital for today's environment, If those documentation and admin changes happen, for example, even that small point could mean overtime work for your staff. Or if your staff are already stretched, you may need new staff. So make sure you have sufficient. Talk to your bank and make sure you have sufficient in your pipeline for your working capital to take you through those issues and time delays and any alternatives you may have to make in your supply chain that may cost you money. And that's before we ever talk about tariffs, which hopefully, but we're not sure, may or may not apply. Of course. Thank you, Catherine, for that. This was the main message is to keep communication channels open and to stay connected. John, if I could bring you in here, Catherine referred to the end of October, the, the new deadline. Can you bring us up to speed on the EU's granting of that extension to the UK last week? Yeah, so in terms of the summit last week, I suppose what we got was a compromise there uh, in terms of the actual uh, deadline. And Catherine made a very important point uh, in terms of the deadline this time is very much different from the previous extension in that it's a flexible uh, and it can uh, happen, Brexit can happen before then. But what we did seem to get uh, from an EU leader's summit perspective uh, was going into the summit, Donald Tusk, the uh, head of the council, had talked about a nine to 12 month extension. Uh, but France uh, was much more sceptical of that uh, and really wanted uh, something short around a three months. So uh, in good EU historical fashion, they reached a compromise uh, and we're uh, looking at the uh, October 31st deadline. An important thing to point out, though, in relation to that and the statement that they released afterwards was uh, they haven't ruled out the possibility of a further extension uh, as well. So the statement didn't make any reference to, to that. Now, going forward, it will be more difficult and EU leaders will become more sceptical of this. Uh, but nothing in the statement ruled out the possibility that we can have a further extension again uh, after it. So at the moment, we are looking at a ratification of the withdrawal agreement or do you think a new way forward can be found? Well, really, the whole focus now is back again uh, on the uh, UK Parliament and specifically the House of Commons. Uh, so the, the ball is very much back in their court. Uh, at the moment, uh, Theresa May's focus and strategy is still seems to be on getting the withdrawal agreement passed. But to do that, uh, what she's undertaking at the moment is cross-party talks uh, between her front bench and the Labour Party to try uh, and see is uh, there a consensus forming uh, around what the future relationship may look like uh, to win cross-party support and consensus uh, in the UK Parliament on that. Uh, we still think that's a lower probability being able to find consensus uh, given everything that's happened in the Parliament over the last uh, couple of months. Uh, so the six-month extension uh, does increase the chances uh, of uh, an ex- uh, basically potential for a second referendum uh, in the UK uh, around, because there's more time there now for them to talk about and Parliament has more time and Parliament may decide if it can't find agreement uh, to put it back to the people uh, in a second referendum. 
Sure. And you mentioned the second referendum there. And you you might also say that the chances of the UK staying in the EU have increased. Yeah. So given where we are in terms, they have now basically six months to see. uh, And that is one option that is open to them revoking Article 50. And it is one thing the UK can do without having to find uh, agreement, because if it was to look for extension again, then it needs agreement uh, with all other EU member states. But the one thing the UK can decide on its own uh, is to revoke Article 50. Uh, So I think uh, over the next couple of months, the focus uh, will come back very much on uh, the House of Parliament and if it looks as if they can't find consensus, uh, they do go for that second referendum. One of the options on the second referendum uh, is likely to be uh, to remain or to revoke uh, Article 50. Uh, so that does increase the chances uh, or the potential uh, for the UK actually remaining uh, at the end of all this process. And there's local elections in the UK in early May. Um, where does UK stand in relation to the European elections? Uh, so under EU law, the UK has to participate uh, in, uh, or the UK has to participate uh, in European elections. So uh, at the moment, as you say, we've got European elections in early May. So that's uh, event risk for Theresa May's own leadership. She's under pressure at the moment politically uh, in the UK. Uh, but at the moment, uh, planning is underway uh, in the UK in terms of legislation that needs to be passed and candidates. So it looks as if the UK will be participating in the European elections. John, on the currency side of things, the euro sterling seems to be taking an all in its stride. It's been range-bound uh, since the middle of February 1985 and 87. What's the currency outlook for the next few months? Yeah, so it's been very much, uh, markets have been very sanguine about this whole thing in terms of whilst you have a lot of chaos uh, in the UK Parliament and a lot of indecisions and no consensus, basically currency markets and, and from a sterling perspective are taking the view that you know there's a very low risk of a no-deal scenario uh, and increase in chances and probability uh, that there could be a softer type of Brexit uh, or even uh, no Brexit at all. So as you mentioned there, the currency levels uh, in terms of the range for euro sterling has been 85 to 87p and there hasn't really been you know much volatility even within that range so from an outlook perspective uh, it's stating the obvious but it will very much depend on what happens in relation uh, to to Brexit. Uh, We do think if we get close to that deadline and there's no agreement or or no uh, much progress being made then we could see sterling come under a little bit of pressure all right given that you know the default position still here is uh, a no deal uh, and a a no deal uh, exit. Uh, so that can't be forgotten in all this. Uh, the upside for sterling in terms of going forward, I think, is more limited uh, because, remember, these are just the exit talks. The difficult trade talks have yet to commence, and that really determines what the long-term relationship will be and the long-term economic impact. Uh, so there still is choppy waters ahead uh, for sterling, uh, even with the withdrawal agreement does get passed and we get into a transition period. You know, the, the difficult negotiations have yet to begun. Okay, John, thanks for your thoughts on the recent Brexit developments. Um, Turning to the uh, ECB meeting last week, was there any change to policy or guidance? No, a very uneventful uh, ECB meeting was in line with our market expectations in terms of no changes to interest rates and that. Uh, in the lead up to it, though, there had been speculation and the focus was on uh, whether the ECB uh, would give any sort of indications that it would extend further its guidance. Because at the moment, the ECB is guiding that there be no increase or change to interest rates uh, till the end of December uh, of this year. Uh, and there had been some talk from ECB sources 
an ECB speakers uh, in the last couple of weeks, that that could be extended further out. But uh, President Draghi, the ECB uh, head, uh, stated that they hadn't discussed uh, that decision yet. But we do think uh, that that could uh, come uh, over the next couple of months because the eurozone economy uh, has slowed. There's been a lost momentum there and inflation pressures uh, are very much subdued. So the ECB doesn't have to rush uh, in terms of its change and to start to tighten monetary policy. And the outlook for market rates for three months, money has been pushed out a little bit by the market. Yeah, pushed out uh, substantially compared to where we were back in autumn. So if you look now, markets are expecting uh, rates to only start to increase uh, by around uh, mid-2020 or early 2021. Uh, And if you look at where three-month contracts are for over the next couple of years, uh, they only see three-month money getting towards 0.5% by around 2024 and it's only a couple of months back where markets uh, saw those contracts at 0.5 percent by around mid 2021 so there has been uh, pushing out uh, in terms of interest rate expectations in markets and i suppose that's against the backdrop of just you know very weak uh, eurozone uh, data but also just more skepticism over the outlook for the global economy uh, and risks they're facing that as well and can i just ask you john the the TLTROs that were announced in the previous meeting, the new liquidity measure for targeted long-term repo operations, when are they due to kick off? Uh, so they will start in September of this year, and uh, President Draghi at the last meeting uh, stated that uh, they will, the ECB will provide more details uh, over the next couple of meetings, potentially as we get in towards summer, in terms of uh, the specific details around that. So there's a start in September uh, and to run till March the following year. Great stuff. So a very dovish outlook overall from the ECB. Uh, John and Catherine, thank you very much for your insightful commentary. Just to highlight, the full Brexit Sentiment Index survey is available to view or download from our FX Centre website on aib.ie. And thank you for listening to our weekly update. You can subscribe to AIB's Market Talk on the podcast apps for iOS or Android. See you next week. Thanks for listening to the latest edition of AIB Market Talk. Allied Irish Bank's PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. First Trust Bank is a trademark of AIB Group UK PLC, authorised by the Prudential Regulation Authority and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority and the Prudential Regulation Authority. Allied Irish Bank GB and Allied Irish Bank GB Savings Direct are trademarks used under licence by AIB Group UK PLC, authorised by the Prudential Regulation Authority and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority and the Prudential Regulation Authority.